This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Anthony Bridgeta and Ryan Everett. It was recorded at County Seat Spirits in Easton, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to County Seat Spirits and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at County Seat Spirits in Easton, Pennsylvania. I'm with Anthony Britschka. You are the head distiller, head everything. You do it all, right? Uh, correct. So we're at two-man company. Uh, it's myself and my uncle John Rowe. Um, John does most of the production. He's our head distiller. Um, we have one of our bartenders helping with production. Uh, and then I do um, most of the paperwork, um, some of the distilling, uh, and a lot of the uh, kind of the administrative stuff and marketing. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. We visited you uh, about two years ago. Loved exactly what you were doing. A lot of your collaboration uh, spirits, but y- you really have developed a first-rate product, and, and we really enjoyed that that stood out. How did all this get started? So we started in 2014. Um, my uncle and I both had kind of the concept for it individually. Um, obviously, we're, we know each other because we're related. Um, and it, for me, it started kind of in the tail end of 2012. Um, I had a good friend of mine from college who was turning 30 at that time. And his then uh, girlfriend, now wife, had planned a 30th birthday party for him, surprise birthday party with some of our college friends um, in Brooklyn, New York. So we went to Kings County Distillery. Yeah, Kings County's a great distillery. Yeah, so that was actually the first distillery I went to. And if you've been to Kings County... I love, uh, the, I love the location. I love the label. The labels on their bottles are simple. Their bottles are simple and, you know... Very low-key, very yeah. simple, but it works for them. Um, at the time, I believe they were the first and only distillery in New York. Now, there's certainly many others in New York. Um, So that was 2012. Um, I talked to Colin. I forget what the other guy's name was. That was there, the two guys that own it. Um, At that time, they didn't have their... I know they have, like, really large, I think, Forsyth stills now. Um, I don't know when the last time you were there is. But when we went, at least when I went, um, they were still pretty low-key in that they had kind of the small hillbilly still set up. And that was, like, the only thing that they had. So they were doing it on a really, really small scale, although they had the the big building. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see what they were doing, that they were kind of two young guys doing it without a whole lot of apparent financing, a whole ton of equipment. Um, and they were able to kind of get it started from scratch on a, on a pretty low scale. So um, that's when I kind of had the idea. I w- I'd been looking for a different, different type of business to start. Um, I have a day job, but I was looking to start my own Everybody company. in the distillery business, unless you've got a big boatload of money sitting behind you, that's how you start out, right? Yeah. You know, just you hustle and you start and you come up with different things and ideas and you just make it happen. Yeah. So for me, uh, after visiting Kings County, uh, I was pretty interested in doing it. So um, I bought some equipment, started trying it out, started fermenting, started doing some light distilling. Um, now, did you do any home brewing before that or you just went right into the distillation idea of fermentation, distillation? That's what you wanted to do. I just dove right in. And <laughs> okay. to be honest, I mean, because of that, I made a ton, a ton of mistakes. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, I think I was there on a Saturday. I think I had the equipment on like a Tuesday and I was... Because that equipment isn't cheap either. No, I mean, it was pretty small scale, so it wasn't, it wasn't super expensive, but, um, yeah, I mean, I basically just, just kind of got it shipped to me and started kind of doing it in, in, in my apartment as kind of, uh, you know, a, a test. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I dove right in, definitely made a lot of mistakes. I had no brewing background, so I did, had a lot of errors with malt conversion, cooking things at too high temperatures, a lot of which just took me a long time to, to kind of figure out. Um, but that didn't discourage you. You really, you really kept focused on really, you know, where you wanted to go, right? Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was kind of fun. I mean, whenever you're starting something new, you 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 kind of get the benefit of it. it's it's all it's all novel. So um, you know, every 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 day doing it was pretty much fun. Um, so then I started doing that, and then you start thinking about turning it into an actual real business. Um, and then around the same time, uh, my uncle, who's my my mother's uh, brother. Um, Michael John was also looking to start some type of business and he had also thought about distilling. So I think my mom had mentioned that to me because she knew I was doing it uh, and, and, and kind of thinking about it as well. Uh, and he was getting up to retirement age from being a, a pilot and air traffic controller. Um, so he was going to be moving toward, towards a pension and, you know, still young enough to want to do something and still looking to so, do something. So I can say that there's a little bit of runway for him financially <laughs> right. being the air traffic controller. <laughs> right, okay, right. so for sure. we'll work that in there. For, for sure. So uh, it's, what, what year is this? This would have been uh, early part of 2013. Okay. Um, so we started kind of planning it out in 2013. We visited a couple distilleries. I visited Dad's Hat. He visited Dad's Hat. Those guys are really good guys, really nice. Um, they were nice enough to let me kind of come and, and bottle with them once or twice just to kind of talk shop. Do you know how many people we talk to, especially in this area, that have used and, and spoken to Dad's Hat, and they've been so gracious to let everybody come in and share what they're doing to really help this community grow. And it's uh, not surprising that you would mention that, you know, Herman and Dad's Hat and what they're doing. Yeah, great guys. I mean, I don't think I've encountered anybody in the distilling business or community that hasn't really been a great guy. Um, all the guys in PA are cool. All the guys in PA are really nice to one another, even people that are kind of in the same markets. Right. Um, nobody's really mean. Nobody's really, nobody really is rude. Um, but yeah, I mean, Herman, Herman, Herman and John were just, um, they're just stand up guys and they were really, really helpful, really nice with getting started. You know, gave some basic tips, was basically able to see kind of how they were doing it. Um, and then from there, we visited a couple other distillers. I know we went, I know my uncle and I both went to Hune, uh, which is in Bucks County. I think they're in the process of moving to a different facility, but they were one of the early ones too. Um, and other than that, there wasn't a whole lot. No, in 2013, there weren't a lot of other no. distillers around, at least on the eastern part of Pennsylvania, to use as a re resource, right? Yeah, Maggie's Farm was just coming up about that time. Um, Thistle Finch was getting started. I went out and visited them, uh, visited Andrew, really nice guy. Um, Wiggle was probably up and running a little bit after Dad's Hat. Um, didn't didn't get out to there until about a year later or so, but they, they were really nice too. Uh, Mark Meyer over there is a, is a great guy. Um, so yeah, so it was tail end, you know, throughout the process of 2013, we kind of started specking everything out, planning it. And then the hardest part, as I'm sure you've encountered talking to people, is finding a location. Right. Um, because you kind of have a weird mix in terms of what you're looking for and that you need an industrial space to be able to handle the equipment. Um, be able to handle some of the utility needs and to be able to get the space at a square footage and a price that you can afford to actually have a manufacturing operation. Um, however, at the same time, you don't want to be strictly in necessarily a manufacturing area. Right. So people can find you. And the other part, I'm sure you focused or found as a focus, when you spoke to people about it, they didn't understand what you were doing or beyond, hey, it's not a brewery. Correct. Right. Yeah. So I mean, I know, I know, Allentown. Is, Allentown was really, really helpful. They were pretty open about getting new types of businesses in. Um, that's where we ended up locating. So, um, but you're exactly right. I mean, we went through a lot of effort with our architect um, because although they're really, 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 really good architects, this is just something they've never done. You know, how would they have done another distillery? We we're kind of popping up in the Lehigh Valley. So. Um, uh, yeah, going through the, the architect was was pretty pretty lengthy to kind of redraw everything and make sure they understood exactly how everything worked because everything was kind of new to them. So that process did take a long time. Um, we ended up finding our location in Allentown um, pretty much by happenstance. So um, I'm a Lehigh graduate in, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Okay. So I went to undergrad at Lehigh. Uh, and there's a guy who owns a Colony Meadery. Um, his name's Greg. He's also a Lehigh grad. Um, so I think I was on LinkedIn or something and saw that he was posting in the Lehigh, you know, alumni forum about looking for a bottle supplier. Oh, really? And I was just like, I, I didn't know him at the time, but I was like, um, you know, I don't, 
I know I wonder what this guy's looking for. I wonder why he needs bottles. So reached out to him, found out he was starting a meadery. Um, he was really nice, invited me out to go see their space uh, at the Allentown Economic Development Corporation's Bridgeworks uh, Enterprise Center. Um, we then found out that there was a brewery going in pretty shortly after that. Um, and then there was space for us. So that's ended up being where it's, we... It's really a great experience because you can visit the brewery, the meadery, and then also share in the spirits that you're making. And you really get a different experience in each one. Correct. And, and everybody's doing a high quality job too. Thank you. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody's doing... Hijinx makes fantastic beer. Colony Media makes fantastic uh, um, mead. Um, there's a kombucha. There's a kombucha producer there. So I didn't know that. Okay, now there's kombucha. That's yeah, another fermented There's kombucha adventure. and there's a uh, there's a kosher winery going in as well. They're just starting to set up now. I don't know if they're going to have a tasting room out of that facility, but um, they're they're just starting to set up now. So yeah, I mean, it's kind of become a little bit of a beverage hub in South Allentown. Yeah, and, and being from here and knowing this, there's a real uh, there's a there's so much going on in the Lehigh Valley Correct. in terms of spirit production, and it's really becoming uh, an epicenter for what a lot of people want to do as far as the creation of small batch or, or craft distilling or, or, or wines and meads and things like that. This is a really great spot. Yeah, it's kind of funny too because it's like, you know, one of the things about starting a business, particularly in kind of a, not necessarily a new industry because I mean, distilling has been around for a really, really long time, but in kind of an emerging industry at the scale that we're doing is you never really know who else is working on it. So I think, uh, I don't want to speak for everyone in the Lehigh Valley, but at least for us, I mean, the whole time we were kind of conceptualizing it and knowing we were going to locate in the Lehigh Valley and, and, and kind of looking for a place, we kind of assumed or had a reasonable assumption that we might be the only people. Okay. Um, and I think that's kind of what everyone felt like. And, and then all of a sudden you see people popping up around you. Yeah, and, and it yeah. just so turned out within a, a year or two, you know, we opened, Social Still opened, uh, Eight Oaks opened not too long after that, Triple Sun Spirits opened, Kilimanjaro uh, which does Explorer Spirits, they opened. So um, Gallows Hill opened in Allentown uh, about a year and a half ago or so too. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people working on it at the same time. They all kind of popped up and it was it was kind of funny for a period of time because it's 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 it shifted a little bit back to the big cities and that Pittsburgh does have a, a you know several distilleries now, yes. uh, as does, of course, Philadelphia. But for a while, the Lehigh Valley had more than Pittsburgh okay. and as much as Philly, which doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. I mean, Philly and Pittsburgh are much bigger than the Lehigh Valley. Um, but for a while, Lehigh Valley had kind of the most of anybody in Pennsylvania. Well, I, I think it also, you know, look at the industry, you look at the agriculture around you. I'm sure if you go back to the history, you know, we're talking 1800s, early 1900s, there was probably a very large footprint of distilleries in particular in the Lehigh Valley area. Correct. It's just we lose that history. And now you as county seed spirits are leading the way as far as that resurgence of, of what is happening in the Lehigh Valley with the other distil distillery partners. How did you come up with the name for, for your distillery? How did that go? Were there other names that you, you was it just county seat right away or so were there other things? Yeah, so uh, as I'm sure you've experienced talking to other distillers, you know, naming products is, is both fun and stressful. Right. And, and the same thing for naming the distillery. So I think County Seat might have been the first or one of the first names that we came up with, um, but we weren't married to it at all. Um, originally, um, my, my day job, I work at a, at a law firm in Westchester, which is also the county seat of Chester County. Okay. So originally, I was looking in, in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which, which is the county seat of, of Chester County. Um, and that's kind of how we came up with the name County Seat. Um, I'm from Allentown. I went to high school in Allentown. I was born in Allentown. Uh, my uncle uh, lives in Northampton, was working out of Allentown. Um, so we started looking at Allentown as well. And County Seat obviously worked for that as well. Um, so we kind of had the name County Seat from the beginning. We looked at a bunch of different names. I can't really remember what some of the other contenders were. Um, but County Seat kind of was the one we stuck with. Um, it sounded like a spirits company. Um, it sounded like a whiskey company. It kind of, it kind of just made the most sense. It was quick. You can understand it. It's um, you don't have to worry about spelling it. It's pretty easy. You don't have to worry about spelling <laughs> it. I will say we get country seats a lot. Okay. A lot of people, a lot of people sometimes think what we're called country seat. Um, I think if we call ourselves country seat, people would call us county seat. I think that's just kind of yeah. part of the process. Um, but as our name gets out there a little bit more, we get that less and less. So you, you, you open up now, we're talking 2013, you had this idea. When, after going through the whole design process, when did you actually, when was the first day you were able to distill? When, when was that, when did that take place? So we started getting in about the middle of 2014. We basically started setting our space up in Allentown. Um, so we kind of set it on the location spring of 2014. 
Um, because we're in a business incubator, you have to go through a whole kind of process where you present a business plan, that type of thing. Um, so we did that in the early part of 2014. By the early part of fall, I'd say September or October of 2014, we got our uh, state license and federal permit, got our equipment. I think we were distilling by probably the end of October, maybe early November of 2014. All right. So you're, you're setting up everything. You've got everything going. What was it like for you and John the first time you fired up your still and, and started the process? What was that, what was that experience like for you? Uh, very, very, very stressful. I mean, since I had kind of done it on a, on a small scale, I had a pretty decent level of confidence in how it was all going to work. Um, but you know, you're going from doing like three or four gallons to like 340 gallons. So it it is a big jump. Um, you know, our equipment's pretty unique. So there wasn't a huge track record of it out there. Um, so we were a little, what makes your, what makes your, you would say it's unique. What makes it more unique? Um, so in, in the, in, uh, we use a direct fired still. So okay. we, we use a direct fired still and elect, electronic still. They're both manufactured by a company called iStill. The larger still, which we use for stripping, is just a, basically a straight pot that gets heated, has a huge mixer under it. So it's direct fired, but it does, um, you know, have some temperature sensors. It's, it's, it's pretty basic, but it does have a little bit of technology. And then our electric still is a little more refined in that we can program it. Uh, we can have it run different settings depending on what type of product we're making. Um, but when I say unique, I mean, it wasn't, it was a, a new brand of equipment. Okay. And it wasn't like we were using a Carl or a Cote or something that, you know, people Somebody are, already had a track record that they could come in and say, hey, this, these, this is what you can expect through the process, right? Ex- exactly. Yeah. So there really wasn't like a training program or anything like that. So it was kind of just learn as you go. Um, and if you remember, uh, you know, if you're following the industry at that point, it was a lot different than it is now. Now there's a lot of, still providers and there's a lot of still manufacturers because the industry the craft industry has matured a little bit there's a great education process so you get the support coming in and and to help you through the trial and error aspect of it too right correct but in in the fall 2014 there were just there was just a lot less of that there was less equipment manufacturers um it was much harder to get barrels we were really worried about not being able to get barrels when we first opened that was something that at that time looked like it was going to be a huge problem for a couple years ended up not really being a problem at all. Um, but yeah, so to, to answer your question, when we fired everything up, um, you know, it's pretty stressful. It's like you mix, <laughs> you mix everything up and then you set it. And, you know, if you've ever, you know, if you've ever done a mash before at one of the distilleries you've been to, you know, it doesn't take off in five minutes. You kind of leave and then you come, come back, back. <laughs> and you hope that it's working and you hope right. that it's looking like it's supposed to look. The right amount of yeast and, uh, Correct. You know, um, so yeah, I definitely remember like going home late one night and then coming back like six or seven hours earlier and like walking down the hall and crossing my fingers and hoping that everything was working. Um, the one good thing is, uh, you, we, we do open top fermenting, um, so you can smell it. So for us, it was like, I came through the doors at the facility and I could smell it. I knew, I didn't know if it was going well, but I knew something was happening. <laughs> you know, I could smell, I could smell something fermenting. So it was, uh, it was, it was happy to see that it was, was going, going pretty well. What was the first thing you, what was the first thing you distilled? Was it a vodka? Was it a clear spirit? Were you going right into whiskey? What was the first thing you did? Yes. I think technically the first thing we distilled was like a sacrificial batch of a vodka just okay. to test everything. So we did like, basically our rum recipe which is a sugarcane rum and then distilled that out into a vodka just to test both of our stills make sure everything was running um we had run cleaning runs with water before um but you know when you run alcohol through it it's a little bit different so that was basically a sacrificial run to just get everything working not really worry too much about the quality of the product but just get just to get used to the system and what you can expect right correct so that that was what we did first and then after that um, we, we basically just started racking up a little bit of bourbon. So we did grain mashes um, of, our, of, our, of our standard bourbon mash. Um, do you have an idea? Can you share the, the mash build on that? What, what sure. So, I mean, we do our, our hidden copper bourbon, uh, it's a weeded bourbon. So we do about uh, 51, 52% um, um, corn. We do 33% soft red winter wheat and about 16%. Um, of, a, of a two-row malted barley. So no rye in there at all? No. Nope. Just very mellow, very subtle, very flavorful, smooth bourbon. Yeah, it's a heavily weeded bourbon. Um, we get like a nice earthy component. Um, so that's what we started racking up, um, distilling out first. We also did 
some rums and, and rye-based vodka in the early parts of that. Um, but yeah, those were kind of the first things we started working on. And it's interesting because if you talk to a lot of people, a rye-based vodka, especially going back to 2014, that was unique in itself. Correct, yeah. Most people are going the way of doing corn vodka or potato vodka, something of that nature, but you went to a rye. And how, how, did, how did the decision make, make for that? So we tried it up a couple different batches. So we, we were pretty confident early on that we were going to do bourbon, uh, and we knew we were going to do a gin. Um, beyond that, we were kind of open to what we were going to focus on. Um, we didn't really have a defined plan like, hey, we're only going to do rum or, hey, we're only going to do rye or something like that. Um, we, we, we knew we were going to do bourbon and then we knew we were going to do a gin. Um, because we knew we were going to do a gin, we also played around with doing vodka because we already have, you know, we do everything great in the glass. So we already had to make vodka to make gin. Yeah. Once you make that neutral spirit, you can go to different places with it, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, we, we did it in a couple different ways. So we did, um, first we did a, a weeded, uh, a, a weeded vodka. We did a corn based vodka. We did a blended vodka of a couple different grains and then a rye vodka and just tasting them ourselves and trying the ones we liked the rye the best. Um, and since uh, it was a little bit more unique at that time, that's kind of what we went with um, for, for our first vodka. So you mentioned initially that sourcing barrels you thought was going to be a problem, but it turned out it wasn't. What was that? How did that work for you? Um, well, it was tough. I mean, we're, we're a really small producer, so we have really no leverage in the supply chain. Um, so when we're contacting barrel companies right at the time that people are worried about a bourbon shortage, a barrel shortage, all that, um, we're kind of the low man on the totem pole. We're not even open yet. Um, we don't have a relationship with any of these companies. We're not promising them huge orders. Um, we're just trying to get little orders of barrels. So it was pretty stressful in that for a while. We thought we weren't going to be able to get any at all. And we ended up uh, ordering from three or four different companies like a year ahead. Um, and then it, I think partly because our orders were pretty small, um, most of them came through. So we ended up getting barrels from a couple different companies. Um, and then actually when we opened, we ended up having a little bit too many barrels that okay. we, couldn't, we couldn't fill. <laughs> we, ended up, we ended up selling some of them off to a distillery, I think, in New Hampshire, who couldn't get any because they hadn't put in orders early enough. Gotcha. Um, we didn't intend to do that. It's just we had them lying around. I knew other distillers in the country were like really out of luck. Um, so why hoard a bunch of barrels? At that point, I wasn't super worried about there being a barrel shortage. Um, you know, and, and like anything, you know, more people started making barrels. So there's more companies that make barrels now. So um, kind of filled the, filled the market void. Now, you're coming along. You're producing vodka. You're producing gin. You've got um, bourbon resting in barrels. Some of the experiences you had, you know, was there a, was there a worse was there a worse, hey, this is like a bad experience? Did you have those opening up or was it fairly smooth in the beginning? Um, we've definitely had some bad experiences. Um, so I remember the one thing that I remember distinctly is, you know, I think anybody who starts a business will tell you that you, you can plan for everything, but like many, many, many things will go wrong. Um, so we've definitely had some things go wrong. Uh, I think my uncle and I have both clogged our drains once or twice. Okay. I think I dumped a bunch of grain and yeast down one time, which I learned pretty quickly. Even with a big trench drain, uh, does not work. You have to filter that out. Right? You have to filter that out. <laughs> uh, I was confident that if I ran enough water, it would just push it through. Um, did not work. Did okay. not work. So that, that was a big screw up. Uh, where I think we had to shut down like the entire building because we have used common drains. I had to get like a plumber out. Uh, I think that was in like the first week we were open. I think I did that in the first week we were open. Um, the other thing I remember distinctly is, you know, a lot of things you don't really know how they're going to work out until you kind of get them out into the marketplace. Um, so I won't throw them under the bus, but we were using a, uh, a provider of tops who we, we don't use anymore. And I don't know that there was anything wrong with their tops. It just wasn't a good fit for the bottles we were using. Right. Um, but it was weird because they seemed to work fine. So we filled a bunch of vodka, filled a bunch of rum, and everything seemed to be fine. It seemed like it would work perfectly. Um, nothing wrong with the tops, seemed like that. And then when we opened, uh, we started getting complaints pretty much immediately that the tops were extremely hard to open. Oh, wow. Like, so they, they, they swelled up or is it just they was They were synthetic. I oh, guess it was okay. just a snug enough fit that I don't know if the shape of the bottle, the shape of the top, they expand a little bit, but they were really, really, really hard to get off. And then the other problem was once you got them off, you you could get them back in, but they wouldn't shut all the way. They'd only go about halfway down. Gotcha. So that ended up being something that we didn't really learn until we kind of get out in the marketplace. 
Um, so I when you're when you're I mean going back, I mean when you're taking that experimental still in your apartment, you don't have these things on your mind. No. You're not thinking tops. You're just thinking about what's in the still and trying to create a really quality product at that time. So this is all that learning process and the growth of, of starting from the beginning to where you are now. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think um, I think a lot of distillers are distillers probably tight. I mean, there's just so many little things that you don't think about necessarily. Um, but I mean, all that stuff, it's, you know, getting the labels, getting the tops, getting the right shrink wrap for it, you know, packaging, what kind of boxes you're going to have, how you're going to take the boxes. I mean, all that stuff. It's lots of little things that become more of an issue than you would think they are. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think when you're starting out, you're, you're kind of focused on kind of the broad strokes of what you're trying to do and, and why you're trying to do it. So what was that aha moment? that you knew you had a quality product, you knew you had a viable business. Was there a time when you and John kind of got together and said, we got something here? Yeah, I think it was probably the the first summer we were open in 2015. So we got open, I think Valentine's Day of 2015 was when we officially opened to the public. Um, we might have done like a soft opening a week before that, I can't remember. Um, but at that point we had now had three products. So we released uh, the rye vodka, which is our class eight vodka. We did the sand island rum, which was our sugarcane rum. And then in the spring we had released gin. Um, and people really liked the gin. And, you know, we've, we'd got been getting reorders for, for everything. Um, but we started really noticing that summer that um, the gin recipe that my uncle had come up with, people just really liked it and were coming back. And that summer you started seeing people come back for like the third or fourth bottle. And it's like, okay, this is something that people are actually interested in buying. Hey, they like me. They really like me. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just, you know, they're, they're supporting you because you're local and they bought a bottle and it's just sitting somewhere. Um, were, were there, was there feedback as far as the characteristics of the gin? Because we, we talked to many people and their first response is, uh, I don't like gin. Or, right. uh, you know, that's, that's what my parents used to drink. But what was the feedback on the gin that they were coming back for more? Do you remember? Yeah. I think, well, the way my uncle designed it was it, it's designed to be a little bit more approachable. Um, so some people really do like that really bold, um, London style gin. Right. Um, and some people, some people like that. Um, a lot of people, as you, as you noted, they don't really like that at all. Um, so for us, um, he tried to go with kind of a, a lighter, more, um, I don't know if I'd call it playful, but like a little more citrus forward gin, um, which just pairs well. And a lot of people that really, really, really don't like gin will still like it. Uh, and also a lot of people that do like gin will like it. Um, so I think that was kind of the, it was a little bit more approachable. Um, and I think you see a lot of people kind of doing that style now, um, to, to make it, you know, a, a, a gin, a gin. Yeah, it's a new American botanical floral. I mean, whatever you want to characterize it, this is the product that people are drinking today. These are bringing conversions over to gin, where people have said, "Wow, I love gin. I love this." Correct. You can drink it straight in the glass, or create a cocktail out of it. Yeah, one of the cool things about gin, as opposed to a whiskey, is um, you can play with it, and you get a shorter feedback loop. So, you know, one of the things we've learned as we've kind of done different whiskeys is, you know, if we want to change one of our whiskey recipes, like we want to do a malt whiskey and we want to say, hey, we, we can get this experimental malt that our, our malt provider's making and, you know, it might be really cool to use this and in this, in this percentage, um, you know, that's kind of conceptual, but we won't really know what it's going to do for like a year or even longer until it ages out. The one good thing about a gin is, you can try a gin recipe, throw something else in there. You can say, hey, let's cram some lemongrass in there. Or let's add this. And, you know, you you know within you know a couple days after you've distilled it out. You what, know what it's going to have as a flavor and everything else, right? Yeah, and you can yeah. adjust quicker. Whereas with a whiskey, if you're trying to kind of fool around with a whiskey recipe, you get the white spirit. So, you know a little bit what happened, but you don't know how it's going to age out yet. So, you don't really know if it's an improvement or if it's not an improvement until, until you wait. You mentioned hijinks the brewery that's in the area in Allentown. And you've done collaborations with them. And, and I believe that for our experience, it was the first time we ever really tried a collaboration um, that got distilled out. There was a beer that got distilled out. How did that all come, how did that all come about? Yeah, so um, obviously having a brewery down the hall, you know, they try our stuff, we try their stuff. Um, we knew we wanted to do malt whiskeys. We didn't do them from the get-go. Um, we kind of racked up some bourbon and did some of the other white spirits we were working on. Um, but we knew eventually we were going to do some malt whiskeys. Um, and we thought if we were going to do that, instead of just doing like a traditional malt whiskey by sourcing a malt ourselves, um, you know, mashing it, fermenting it, and just, just kind of playing around with it that way, um, we could at first try, try just distilling out some beers. 
Um, so Hijinks makes a really fantastic beer called Steal Your Face Stout, which is like a 10% ABV Russian Imperial Stout. Um, it's one of my favorite beers that they do. Uh, and we thought it would be pretty interesting to still that as a whiskey. Um, generally, from my experience, um, if you're distilling beer out, a stout or a porter usually distills out the best. We've done lots of different stuff, but those are lots us- of big flavor. Yeah, to that. yeah. Those those are usually going to distill out pretty consistently solid. Um, so we did steal your face stout first. Um, you know, as a practical matter, just being a 10% ABV. Um, it also helps because you get you get more alcohol out of it. Whereas if you do like a lower ABV beer, like a four or five percent beer, you're you're getting half as much alcohol. Um, which if you're going to barrel age something, you know you need to you need to get enough to put in a barrel. Um, so that was what we started with, and then since then we've run a whole bunch of different experiments. Um, we've done an IPA from them. Um, we've done uh, a couple. We did a wheat beer that they do. Um, we've done a collaboration um, with a, a coffee stout from. Saucony Creek, which is another local brewery. Um, we recently distilled out um, some beer from our friends at Bozer Geist right down the street from where we are now. Um, so yeah, we've definitely, we've done one, one with Barley Creek in Tannersville. So we've tried to kind of do a series of those. Um, you know, You've really been innovative. And I, and I think that's one of the characteristics of what I would say for County Seed Spirits. It's your innovation. It's I know that you have to pay the bills, and we're here at your second location in Easton, so you've got to pay the bill in Allentown where you're distilling, and you still have that tasting room set up. Correct. And you've got this wonderful, this great facility in, in this old mill kind of style. It's, it's just beautiful, um, but you, you've got to pay the bills. Right. And a lot of people, they focus on getting bottles into the PLCB. They focus getting bottles into local bars and restaurants and things, and that takes up a lot of time. That takes up a lot of distillery space but you've been able to innovate just the same and, and how do you go about that decision of, of this is going to be our focus um well, we're always just trying to do different things because it's it's kind of fun too um you know distribution is its own animal and it's 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 tough um obviously you know there's there's a distinct difference between making something and selling it to a local market where somebody's going to come up and pick it di- pick it up directly from you. Right. Um, as opposed to if you're going to sell through distribution, whether it's through the PLCB or if you're going out of state, um, you don't have as much direct customer contact. And of course, you're on the shelf with bigger, more established brands that have huge marketing campaigns. Um, so it is a little bit harder to stand out. Um, so we do have some stuff in the liquor stores, but we mostly sell directly to people out of our tasting rooms. Um, so because of that, if you have people coming in, they always want to try different stuff. They're always looking for new stuff. Um, so it just kind of made sense to, to make, make more things. So this has been a great leap. The tasting room here, the, the, you've got a bar set up. It's a beautiful bar. You do entertainment here. We'll talk to Ryan shortly um, about the cocktails he's creating and, and what he's been able to do here. But what's, what's the future look like for County Seat uh, Spirits? What, what's that look like over the next couple of years? Because we're talking, you've got your fifth year anniversary coming up yep. in a couple of weeks. And you've, you've made these great leaps in five years. What's going to be the future for County Seat Spirits? What would you like to see as you move forward? Yeah, so I mean, our, our primary focus right now is just kind of building up uh, our Easton Tasting Room. We've had that open since June. Um, it's still in the Lehigh Valley, but it's, you know, closer to, you know, we're right on the Jersey border and we're, you know, 25 minutes or so from, from Allentown. So it's not right in our backyard, but, it, but it's still pretty close. Um, so that's really what we've been focused on in the last six months is just kind of building this out. Um, just because the tasting room component of most distilleries has become kind of the driving force for, for a lot of distilleries. There's right. certainly, certainly lots of distilleries, including some Pennsylvania distilleries that sell really well through the liquor stores. Um, that hasn't been our model so far. Um, so we're really focused on kind of growing this out as just a great place to get a cocktail, great place to try our spirits and kind of have it be um, kind of the showroom for our spirits. Um, because you've been to our Allentown once, it's a lot smaller, it's a yes. lot more limited, it's more of a manufacturer. I remember meeting you the first time and even even your impression was, hey, this is only temporary. Right. We're, we've got bigger and better things. And I think for a while it was like, keep it secret. Yeah. This, this place was, don't tell anybody, but we're, we're, we're working on something. So right. we've got something coming soon. Yeah. So we're trying to build this tasting room out. Um, we're looking at possibly doing another location at like a public market or farm. I think Westchester, going back to your roots, I thought Westchester would really, you know, really would be well served to have county seat spirits. In, There's in not a distillery of, in Westchester yet. No. I mean, there are, there are other Chester County distillers and really good ones. There were but, some great ones. But um, yeah, so yeah, we're, we're looking at, at doing other tasting rooms. 
Um, we're not sure where um, this one's going pretty well, but we want to still give it some more time and make sure we understand exactly what we're doing here before we add another one. And then I think long term, what we'd like to do is um, whether it's the gin or something else, pick pick kind of a horse and see if we can um, you know expand with one product and really get some traction with that. Um, because it is tough to try to push out six or seven different products to the masses. Um, so I, I think in the next year or two, what we'll try to do is pick one product and really try to expand that um, through distribution and, and see how that goes. Yeah, because if you look at what you have on the shelf there, you, you're almost at a dozen different distilled spirits that you provide. Yeah. And then you've got your you know small batch releases and everything else. So there's a lot going on in your bottling side of things. Yeah, we do, we do a number of spirits. Um, it's, it's definitely easier to do uh, one or two things at a larger capacity because it's the you know, production's a little bit simpler when you're doing different things you end up getting you know if you get an, if you get a little bit more than you can fit in a barrel of a particular whiskey now you've maybe got you know 25 gallons in a barrel but you have a 26 gallon that's just kind of hanging out got to figure out what you want to do with that <laughs> you know do you do another batch and then try to add that to that or right. do you just try to bottle it as a white spirit um, so it will be it would be simpler to do less things, but um, you know for better or worse, we've gravitated towards doing more products for now. And what you're doing, you're doing extremely well. I mean, Thank I, you. I, I have to say, if if you're in the Lehigh Valley area and you're in this area, it's really well worth the trip to come to County Seat Spirits. And now you've got the tasting room open in Easton. Uh, I, I can gravitate. Well, again, one of the things that really stood out is your cocktail program. Was the fact that you've got some amazing cocktails that are. Um, really coming along with the spirits you're making. So I, I think it's a good compliment to what you're doing. Are there any things that, uh, as we're, as we're talking today, things that you come to mind that we didn't touch about, touch upon? Uh, no, I mean, I think, uh, people, people who haven't heard of us before, I mean, we're, we're based out of Lehigh Valley. So, uh, as you mentioned, we're in Allentown and Easton. Our Allentown location is at, uh, 905 Harrison street, which is in the Bridgeworks enterprise center. Uh, as you mentioned, there's a meadery there, uh, soon to be a winery as well, and then there's hijinks brewing, and then there's kombucha, uh, kombucha manufacturer as well. And then in Easton, we're in the Simon Silk Mill, uh, right on the Easton Phillipsburg um, uh, border. Um, there's a lot of great beverages over here if you're a beverage fan. So there's Bozer Geist, which is a craft brewery. There's Easton Wine Project, which is, which is a, a small urban winery um, within walking distance of the distillery. Um, and then Separatist Beer, which is a, a craft brewery that's uh, in Easton and also in Philadelphia. Um, they just opened a, a bar and bottle shop in the last month or so. So you can really hit a couple different things. There's an Australian cafe. There's a craft ice cream place. So if you're looking for a place to gravitate to and you're, you're a beverage fan, um, the Simon Silk Mill is just a really wonderful place to try a whole bunch of different things and really have a good, good weekend. You know, one of the things I sense even from our conversation from the first time we met to where we are now is that you're an ambassador of what's going on here. You're really promoting the overall, what everybody is doing. You're the ambassador. You're really taking the time to say, hey, listen, we're not doing this alone. We've got people coming along for the ride and it raises everybody up. And I think that's a tribute to you. And I, I think that I sense that again from the first time we met and, and, and met at the, the distillery where we got a chance to see from behind the scenes what you're doing to today. And I, and I really appreciate it. I'm grateful for the time that you took to meet us. I know we've been working on this for, what, a year now to try to sit down and talk. And I, I'm grateful that your schedule worked out. We're going to sit down and talk to Ryan a little bit about your cocktail program and look forward to all the great things the County Seat Spirits is uh, producing and, and, and what the future holds and your big five-year uh, five anniversary. Okay. Thanks a lot for having us. Appreciate Thanks, it. Take care. Ryan Everett, County Seat Spirits. You're the head bar manager, distiller that does all the stuff behind the bar. What, what do you do? What is your exact title? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I am on paper. I'm the general manager. Um, but yeah, I also head bartender. Now, I remember um, when Dawn and I came our first visit, you're the first experience we had. And we were blown away. You, you, you had different things going on in bottles and holding different things, vanilla bean and jalapenos, but you were doing some really cool, unique things too. And that was our first experience to, to see what like that, that, that really craft cocktail program looked like. Yeah, it was, especially over in Allentown, it's a lot smaller space than we have here. Um, so I, it was, it was 
obviously you want more people and you want a full packed house with hundreds of people and everybody loving your cocktails. The experience over there was a little different because it was more intimate because it was a smaller space. So I actually got to almost become friends with every person who came in. Because Your energy is infectious. Oh, thank you. And, and, but, but it's also the creative mind that you have. Like, the, the meticulous way that you created cocktails was just mind-blowing. That, that was one of the things that Dawn and I said right in the beginning. Like, wow, this is a great cocktail, but it's so much fun watching you make the cocktail. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I, I, I mean, as you can, I, I can't really yeah. just do something. I have to have, like, right. okay, I have to steps and plans out yeah, just just so people understand when they're listening to this we said let's sample a couple of your uh, uh and, and what we have is really a smorgasbord yeah this is like uh, I, I couldn't yeah. decide <laughs> <laughs> so we actually have a cocktail which is one of our more popular cocktails this one um we actually came in to it's called pair of thieves i know it says yep pot on there but it's, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it is pair of thieves but uh it's the industry way of saying yeah. something i need a pot yeah. get one in the glass right um but it's it honestly sometimes we stumble upon some of the flavors that we do and other times it's a planned and then we kind of tweak it to make sure it's what we want to or what the vision we saw or we see um what's your background how did you come up into mixology and creating cocktails do you like to be called a mixologist bartender what would you want people to call you so I, I feel like and I'm not trying to be mean, but I feel like people say that you're a mixologist, right. and I feel like so it's just a snooty. word right now. Okay. Um, I I j I really just want you to enjoy the cocktail as much as I enjoy creating it. Okay. So you can call me a mixologist. That's fine. Okay. I I, I will appreciate that. <laughs> um, but I feel like I said people just kind of throw it around too much now, and it's just like I don't know. I always have said there's bartenders and people attend bar. All I right. feel like. People who tend bar, they actually like care about your thoughts and what you want. How did you come into this space? I mean, what was it? Is this something you've always inspired to do? You know, as a as a very young age, were you making your family cocktails? Was that how you started? I, no, ironically, my fam, my father is a pastor, so we were a very anti-alcohol household. Um, I love it. So you're the rebel yeah. of the family. Yeah. yeah, you could you could say I'm the black sheep would be the. Okay. <laughs> Not that I'm doing anything bad, but yes, out of the rest of my family members, I am the. The one who strayed a little further. But uh, no, I I never really thought of myself as, hey, I want to have these awesome flavors and put them together into cocktails. Um, I was a jewelry major and a furniture miner at Kutztown. So I'm not doing anything with that. Other well, now I understand. <laughs> when you look at the furniture here at the Easton location, I, th I think you impart some of this philosophy of being a furniture major you know it's really unique it's really cool it really shows off well in this space thank you we and uh me and kurt um uh, chris becker used to help out with uh hijinks okay uh him and i created the all the tables um and the wood is local as well so it comes from bucks county in northampton yeah, county. it's really repurposed recycled um and ironic the one um the one uh walnut table actually came from john the owner a walnut tree in his backyard and he randomly had it laying around in his garage and I was like yo we can let's save some money let's whip up some of these tables and because I once again like I had a vision as to what the tables wanted to look like because it's such a rustic space in here I think it would look kind of out there if you had these like awesome distressed walls and then you had these like pristine tables so the live edge tables with the local wood I think just kind of mixes everything together and this really makes sense to me now and, and, and having this conversation that we haven't had before that you're a craftsman you, you, whether it's creating tables or jewelry or cocktails, that's, that's your gift, that you're a craftsman, that, that you really want to tinker and, and make things just the whole experience of, of what people are going to have. Yes, and that's, even when I cook, I'm, I'm, I consider myself a pretty, pretty good cook, um, but I will go out and I will have something and I will try to almost replicate that flavor when I get home to the best of my ability. Sometimes I can't. Most of the time I can figure it out. And that's pretty much how I go about the cocktails as well. Where Are there influences that you have right now? Are people that are creating cocktails that you see what they're doing? Like you said, you go out and you try this and then you try to replicate it? The owner of Aviary in New York, his cocktail game is, I think, one of the hands down, one of my favorite. He, when you go to the restaurant, he will have something that looks like a strawberry, but it tastes like an apple. So that's the type of stuff where like, that like mind, it's kind of almost like you're, you start churning. It's not just like, here's your cocktail, enjoy your gin and tonic or whatever you order. Right. Um, I want you to like look at it, smell it. I want it to be an experience. It's not just, yeah, you're not just going to sit here and sip. I want you to like, I want you to have that 
almost want to see your wheels turning in your head when you have a sip of my stuff. Which is where it starts because, like, you talk about that. You know, Anthony and John are in the distillery and they're producing what's going to go in the bottle, which now you have the ability to work with. But when you look at, you know, bourbons and ryes and vodkas, and you know, it's, it's not just that, that initial flavor. It's a complexity and different layers of flavor. And now you get to take that and make a cocktail out of it and raise it to a new level. So when you talk about, hey, I see a strawberry, but it tastes like an apple, you know, you're drinking a bourbon, but because of the flavor that the barrel imparts and the grains, now what you're having is, hey, I'm tasting vanilla or I'm tasting tobacco or all those different experiences you can have. And now you take that and you create this whole cocktail program, which is which is amazing. So you made, so this pot. So talk about this first cocktail we're going to try here. So what we're going to sample. It, it, it started out as we just wanted, I think it was our spring menu, and we were playing around with pears and different spring flavors. Um, so what we did to make this is we start with our Zero G vodka, which is our gluten-free vodka. It's a sugarcane vodka. And uh, we sous vide pears for about four hours. And we add... Sous vide pears. What is that? So a sous vide machine is just, it keeps uh, water at a consistent temperature. Okay. And then you can actually make steaks with it. You can make chicken. You can pretty much do anything you want with it. So you take it, throw it in a bag, and it boils out, right? Yep. We, only, we have a big vessel of water, and then it's pretty much a rod that keeps at a certain temperature. We usually set it to like 150-ish, 160. Okay. And it'll cook, essentially, those pears at that 160 for as long as you keep it in there. So this is going to be the pear vodka, which is just the normal vodka we put the pears in with cinnamon, honey, and lemon. One of the things I can tell just by nosing this a little bit... I get that cinnamon and then the pear on the nose, but this is just a lovely. You can make a like a, a, a Yankee candle out of this. Oh, I would love a Yankee. Yes, and it's just like smelling it almost like brightens. It's it just like you just it's like refreshing. You're, it, yes, yeah. So it started out as just a cocktail, and it turned into people were mad when we, if it was not going to be put on the next menu. I would be mad. It's wonderful, right? This is phenomenal. <laughs> This is delicious. This is, uh, this is, you know, if it, it, this would be what I would put in my thermos just driving to work all day. <laughs> it, yes, I would. If it would be legal, that would no, be a one. This is delicious. Yeah. What I like is none of our drinks are sweet. I feel like that's the easiest thing for a bartender to do is anybody can add sugar. Anybody can add a, that's like more honey more but I feel like to get the flavors where it's not this is more savory than it is anything else I get all of those and then what's nice about it is that vodka shines at the end it, it's the warming part of the vodka it's a, it's a, that, comes, that comes out yeah and it has a that lingering flavor it's not yeah. it's, a, it's not too viscous in I your get mouth cinnamon it's, honey I get I do get the pear and that's all yeah, that's all lingering together and then the, we had a little bit of vanilla vodka in, in I would do vanilla. that it's just forget dessert I'm, I'm, that's my dessert <laughs> um, and then thermos. the actual cocktail comes with a dehydrated pear as well just to kind of bring and then at the end you get to have that pear that has soaked up its own juices now we talked to Anthony about your gin <clears throat> yes. and, and, and what you do with your gin he talked about the, the citrus notes first and this is the next thing that we're looking at as far as what you have talk about your impression of your gin and why it makes for a great base for a cocktail what you're doing it, i think our gin's fantastic um i i've heard him say earlier about the different styles of gin where you have your london you have your and your london dry gin is going to be your typical pine tree pine cone smelling gin right where ours is a very citrus forward it has Huge, big nose, botanicals, get a little orange peel on the back end, grains of paradise are in there, um, satsuma orange peel, which is just a sweeter version of a clementine. Um, but I think our gin is just fantastic because of all the different botanicals and the effort that goes into making it such a smooth taste. One of the things, I, I, I do get the citrus in the nose, but I'm, I'm also getting like, and I don't know if it's because you know we're at we're open right now you've got people at your bar and i don't know if there was was something that was done with smoke in the, in in my nose right now but i get like this toasted marshmallow right now that was my nose that's, uh, <laughs> the bartender is actually creating our uh, banana gin we okay. take uh, bananas, dice them up, and brulee them, and soak them in our dark so rum. So that's what we're smoking. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what, what you smell. Now yeah. we're smelling, now we're smoking. Yep. Yes. That would be the pot that we just had before. <laughs> yes. 
Um, so that is, that, yes, that brulee sugar, burnt sugar smell is what, and that that's also a fantastic Again, cocktail. a banana gin. Uh, it's a banana vodka. Banana vodka. Oh, it's actually banana rum, sorry. Bana- okay, so let's it's go a, through the whole compliment. Yeah, it's, it's our dark rum, um, and the dark rum is aged two years in a barrel. And then we just soak that for one week with those brulee bananas, and it creates a very non... Because most banana cocktails you have, it has that artificial banana taste. We've all had those that crap 99 bananas or whatever that stuff is. I, okay. <laughs> it's, don't, don't good. Right. Dude, but that's the correct answer. <laughs> um, so and even back to our vanilla vodka, we use Madagascar vanilla. So it has a very, very just true taste. It's not artificial. So that's one thing with that banana vodka or banana rum. I, I, sorry, I'm, I'm sampling the sure. gin while we're talking. Um, while we're speaking about this, I'm getting the citrus notes first. But one of the things that really stands out here is, and again, talking about those London style dry gins, you don't get that pine forward note, but you do recognize it's there. It's a real nice compliment. But you talked about some other spices that you incorporate in the gin. And that's really the next thing that takes over after I get the citrus notes. You should be have um, like a little coriander, which is like your that's on the outside of your tongue, and it almost like kind of grabs, and then all the other flavors just kind of accent your uh, grains of paradise and the coriander. That's that it is distilled with. So what's nice is this is this is you're you're a practitioner. So if somebody comes in and has not had county seat spirits before, and they said, you know, I'd like to have a tasting flight, I'd like to sample what you have. What you just did there is you can explain how that experience is going to happen for people versus going to a bar and saying, I'll just have a gin and tonic or I'll have a vodka and whatever. You're creating this. You've got what the distillery is, is, is making, but then you can, can take, then you can take people through the experience. And that's what you did there. And that to me is an incredible way to enjoy what you're distilling, but if you really want to enjoy a cocktail, this is the way to do it. Yeah, and I, I feel like even all the bartenders that we have and uh, Chris Granger, my other head bartender, we just love flavors so much. And to, like I said, to see like your face and you like, oh, my word, yeah, I just got that. I just, I recognize that flavor that you pulled in. That's how we look at our cocktails too. So, and I feel like that's more of, a, that's, that's part of our experience. It's not, so our gin and tonic, there is actually no tonic in our gin and tonic. That's one thing oh. that I... Then you should call it a gin no time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I designed it for people because most people don't necessarily like gin. And the tonic, they don't like that coinine that is in the tonic. So I It's could, like that bitter flavor that you get at the end, right? Yeah, so our gin is actually made with elderflower as well. So it's an elderflower syrup that I put in there to get the sweetness and then the club soda. So essentially it's a, it's a gin and club, which I personally don't like, but... It tastes so well with all the other stuff that we add. We orange peel around the glass to bring out that orange peel you get on the back of the gin. So it's just kind of breaking down the gin and or just any of our cocktails that we make. We break it down to, okay, what tastes good with Satsuma oranges? What tastes good with coriander? What tastes good with this? And that's how we kind of round, get around to making like, like back to the pair of thieves. Hopefully what's not getting lost is there's you have such a cerebral way of approaching a cocktail that you really want to compliment and highlight and bring up again versus just here here's your cocktail have a nice day thanks for coming in and sometimes that's my downfall because i try too hard (laughs) where i try to pull out too much and i'm trying to do too much i can't i can't i I would tell you that's not a downfall i I think it in a sense that's really what is helping to create the success of what you're doing and, and, and the team at County Seat Spirits is doing. I'm looking at your rye, and that's the next spirit that we have that you brought out. So I think our rye is just different in a good way. Most ryes will bite the outside of your tongue. I think ours has more of a caramely, um, it's very smooth. I, I really just think it's a fantastic spirit. On the nose, you do get a little bit of the earthiness of the rye. Um, and... It, there, you get a you get a caramel note, a vanilla note. That's what that's what I'm having. And then you, and then you get on the back end, you get a little bit of that dry oak that yeah, it's aged in. You get the ethanol to it as well. How long do you age your rye for? Uh, Fourteen months, and it's in a uh, fifteen gallon barrel, fifteen or twenty five, depending on. But and your and your proof on this, your ABV it's is ninety. Ninety. Yeah. And this doesn't come off I, as a ninety. I think it's it closer really to like doesn't. an eighty. Okay. I, yeah, in my tongue, personal palate. No, I was yeah. going to say if, if you were to have me guess. 
and I did this blind, I would say this is more like an 80, 82. Yeah, and it I th- doesn't I, come off as a 90. And I feel like most rise, no offense to him, a lot of people like that huge punch in the face of the ride. My wife loves it. I personally don't. That's why I think I think this is just a once again, it's a different it's a different rye. Long goes back to our gin's different, our vodka's different. So what I find it's really exceptional about the craft and spirits industry and what you're doing and, and what you're a part of is that this could be not only a sipping rye, something you could just put in a glass over a little bit of ice or straight if you want, but there's a nice compliment to a cocktail. So what, what cocktails are you making this out of here? Um, I'd say the most popular one I do is I make a really mean Sazerac. Okay. So if you've never had a Sazerac, it's Peychaud bitters, Angostura bitters, and I put a little bit of sugar, and you stir that into the rye, and then I uh, use ab- absinthe mist on okay. the glass. A lot of people pour the absinthe in there and shake it around. I feel like that ruins the you flavor You do more of, of a rye. wash to the glass versus, and, and people yeah. have done twice, but you have a different perspective on it. I like the mist just because it's supposed to be more effervescence of the cocktail. It's not supposed to change because the Sazerac's all about the rye you put into it. So I feel like if you have that absinthe laying in the bottom, it's going to completely change. Where if you use a mister, it has more of the effervescence and then the lemon zest on the outside. It's a real floral nose. And then you go into our really deep caramel, just like very subtle rye flavor. I think it's just a fantastic I wonder if we were to have this conversation. I wonder if the mister opens up the oils. I wonder if it changes the complexity of the absinthe and makes a difference. And and I don't know if anybody's ever looked into that, but you're, you're creating a different perspective of what that absinthe would be so after the podcast we can talk well, to you know. we can talk to evan he's a uh, chemical engineer so okay. he'd probably be able he to answer know. the question all right now i will tell you that, that, that rye it's nice and warming and you're right it doesn't have that heavy punch it doesn't come off with a lot of peppery notes to it but i, I am enjoying the way it lingers on the back of the palate again if you if you told me this is a 90 90 proof I, I wouldn't expect it. I wouldn't believe it. I, you know, I really thought. So, if you're not a huge rye fan because the, you know the spiciness of the heaviness of it, this is something you're really going to enjoy with that subtle notes. You really get more of the earthiness of the rye, um, and, and, and what lingers for me is a little bit of those uh, vanilla notes, those little caramel notes yeah, at the end. I, I, I agree, 100%. So. Um, I mean, selfishly, I'm eyeing your collaboration because so, that's, you know, by far, I will tell you, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I can't wait to see what you're doing as far as your collaborations. It's, it's what I, one of the things I really love about your distillery. So, so this is, this is me. I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> little, I, you're shaking a little I, bit. <laughs> yeah, I am. I just, I love this. Um, I use, when I, I talk to other distillers and, and, and the distilleries and the distillers we get to meet are doing phenomenal things. But one of the things I ask them is, have you done things like collaborations with different breweries or things like that? And I use you as an example of what you're doing. Well, thank you. Yeah, because this is just, this is elixir. This is elixir from the gods. It really is. And one thing, it's that you you could use the same exact beer or whatever we're using to actually create the collab. And it could be a different taste and flavor. Well, what is this one here? So this one is Hijinx Dolstrecken. That's their big Belgian beer. It's like a 10-ish percent, maybe a little more. Don't quote me on that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really big Belgian beer. Um, this we just had some Belgian beer yesterday. We were at Ambler Brewing Company, and they were doing a lot of Belgians. So yeah. uh, I'm I'm familiar with them. I haven't. I'm not too familiar with their okay. line, but yeah. yeah, yeah, they were really good Belgians. They awesome. really were. So yeah. it's night. Nice. I just feel like this is the theme of the weekend. We're doing Belgian <laughs> well, beer. Perfect. I'm glad I could. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this one is probably one of my more favorite ones we have done. And uh, you're going to get the easiest way. It has that whiskey sweetness that your normal just oh, whiskey. Oh, man. And then on the I'm back blown. end. I mean, oh, this is so where we're doing a podcast. But I wish, oh. you know, we had we had the video to go along with it. Um, mm. This is just amazing. The the explosions of flavor. Wow. Mm. Um, I don't, yeah. How, you get no. like a medicinal on the back end. It's It has, and one of my favorite cocktails to make with it is a penicillin. Um, so we smoke a glass with hickory or cedar, and then you take two ounces of this, uh, honey simple syrup, a house-made ginger liqueur, and lemon, stir that together, and if the cocktail is made properly, you'll get a big smokiness on the nose from the smoked glass, and then you should be able to taste the lemon, the honey, the ginger liqueur, and then it finishes with this dry, oaky, 
caramel, delicious Belgian. I'm just speechless on this one. And and there's a there's there's the hoppy notes to this that you get the floral notes. And that's this. like middle to back palate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and like I said, it's just it's a complex flavor. So it, and that from a cocktail making cocktail making standpoint, that is a blast to use because there's just so many different things you can because you don't need to do much. <laughs> keep it's doing, wonderful. Yeah. Keep doing this. Yeah. Don't stop. Oh. It's really, this is just, so we've had four things. There's one more waiting for us. You, you, you poured this. This is your vanilla. That's just the vanilla vodka. And I just brought that because. And this is, you said, you, Madagascar. Madagascar vanilla, which vanilla. are unbelievably expensive. <laughs> but we let them soak for about two, a month, a month, a month and a half. And, but you can, it's a real vanilla flavor. It's just. Even on the, the nose, it's a very, it, it almost feels syrupy. It, it's, it smells viscous. It smells syrupy on the nose. But yeah, when you get it on the palate, it's it's not that way. And maybe I like it more because my mother has mastered her mother's vanilla crumb pie. So whenever I smell this, I sm- it just oh. brings me like back to childhood and that like, oh, there's that vanilla. Because I know they calls for real vanilla like extracts to be made with that pie. So one of the things you just touched on is really important because what you do is you take all the different senses that you're creating with with the cocktails you're making and you're bringing people back to childhood memories or travel memories or life experiences. That's, that's huge is what the cocktail should be, right? Yeah, and I mean that's pretty much one of our seasonal cocktails is the white grasshopper, which if you go back to not my childhood, but most people's childhood, you go. Um, why you? I'm, why you call me grasshopper? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a pretty much a classic cocktail that is just. It was overly sweet. It's green. It looks weird. So we turned it into a very smooth. It's cream to cocoa, cream to mint, almond milk, and our zero G vodka. It's every person who tries it, they just immediately just look up and be like, oh my gosh, and then it takes them back to them having this with their grandparents or stealing a little sip from their father when they had one during the holidays. So what, uh, so, so what, how long is this seasonal menu going? How, how long do you have this menu out now and how often do you change your seasonal menu? We, uh, every four months or every four months. Yeah. About, yeah. Cause it's, so we do winter, spring, summer and fall. Okay. This is our winter menu. We're probably changing it late March. We're probably going to start because I mean, as soon as the sun comes out, people immediately need their their more citrus and less heavy viscous cocktails. Right. So, um, plus we honestly just get bored of making the same cocktails of after course. a while. <laughs> this is exciting for you too. So, I, I've seen some different things that you do here at at the bar. Um, you, you've got beers. You've got some meads. I think you you, yep. you take care of colony and you do that. Um, and I even saw some sort of a coffee thing that you have so or a tea thing that, that you is, have. What is that? That is that's a that's a very popular object right now. Um, it is a Yoma siphon. It makes Turkish coffee. So once we I don't say I mastered it, but once I got decently good at making some coffee, um, we started to we got a little bored, so we started putting a bunch of herbs and botanicals in the top. And now what we do is we make hot toddies on to go. Not to go, you can't be <laughs> Like, on, on the on the spot. You're still thinking on, of me in a thermos yeah. with your with with, with this cocktail, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's cool because on the, like you physically see us making it siphons up into the lemon, the orange, the apricot, or whatever it may be, and you have a hot cocktail ready for you that was made in front of you. It's not so it's essentially a siphoned cocktail. What's great about the time we live in today is that the cocktail becomes not just that that's served in a glass, it becomes a show. It becomes an experience. It really does. I would tell you that if you're planning, I mean, it's if you're planning and you want a good cocktail, you want a good spirit, this is someplace you should put on your uh, agenda definitely to come to. Come see County Seat Spirits in Easton, where you have this whole bar purge I'm going. What, what's the future look like? I mean, I talked to Anthony about some of the things that they want to do, but what's what's this in your mind? I mean, what you're creating, I know when we met you at the tasting room in Allentown, you were chomping at the bit to get here. You really it's, were. It's been a it's been a long project and it's 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 finally come to fruition and I feel like everybody who comes in enjoys the experience, which is awesome for us. And like you like you touch base on it is an experience. It's not your typical bar. We want you to be engaged. We want 
to bring you back to that childhood cocktail, that childhood. Oh yeah, the, the ones I had when I was yeah. five. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yes, that was a maybe great not time. the childhood cocktail, but <laughs> the childhood flavors that I try to exactly. incorporate or okay. turn into a cocktail. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we to be honest, we have fun while we're bartending, and I've it's I feel like not a lot of people can say that. I mean, maybe like maybe they can. I don't know, but it's it's just a blast to be back here and watch. And if you don't like something on them, we'll gladly make you whatever you want to. We can yeah. make something up on the spot. We can, I mean, we have a bunch, we have a lot of fun toys that we like to use behind the bar. So, <laughs> so you do entertainment here in yes. Easton. You've got, what do you got going on? So uh, talk every, about a little every, bit what people can expect here. So every Friday, Saturday, we have a live music, uh, generally just uh, solo acoustic, something like that. Um, just real chill background music. And um, we are open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we are open on Mondays, and not a lot of places are. And that's more, I mean, not really an industry night, but that would be a night where hypothetically you come in with, I don't know, a fruit roll up and Skittles, and you want us to whip up a cocktail. Cool, let's see what we can do. Hopefully, it's not too sweet. A fruit but, roll up and Skittles. Um, and <laughs> I'm, sure could, I'm sure we could come up with something, but. <laughs> Here's what I know. I mean, for Dawn and I, and, and, and you know, for Mending Adventure, what we do, this is, this is what is just, wow, we're, we're blessed because. Everything that you're creating and Anthony and John are creating, we we get to be we get to partake, and that's where we're grateful for that. Um, you know, people such as yourself are artisans and, and really care about what you're doing, and it just makes for this is when people say, well, when you go out, what's this whole fermented adventure thing? This is the adventure. This is the yeah. adventure to what we get to do. We love this meeting awesome. people like you and and your passion. There's a there's something going on in a. Uh, there's being somebody being shaken back there. It's the whole experience. So I, I'm, I'm excited that you know we you know had a chance in County Speed Spirits. You're our friends, and you know we, we love what you're doing. So thank you for your time, oh, and, thank, you. and thank you for what you do and the hospitality. And I, I, I don't mean to gush, but I've, I've now had five things, and and so the the, the, the fermented adventure is kind of setting in. <laughs> it's fermenting. <laughs> so we look forward to having you, uh, you know, being back here and trying some of your different uh, cocktail menus and, and see what you're doing. So well, thank you. And I appreciate that you appreciate how much effort we put into yeah, it. So. This has been great. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you.